where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We're continuing this morning with a sermon series that we have started on Be the Church. And we are moving through the nine statements, the nine possibilities of ways that we could be the church that you have on the front of your bulletin today, and they hang from our bell tower, and we have coffee mugs that have them on them. So there are so many places where you can see uh, the possibilities. Today we are exploring the way of being possibility, the possibility of being the church by rejecting racism. And in a moment we'll be hearing from Reverend Pedro Silva, who has done a great deal of work with racial reconciliation in the area and all around. And I know that his voice And his spirit will be a blessing to us. But I was also reminded yesterday at the Platte Valley Association meeting where we talked about uh, exploring racism through the eyes of white privilege with Reverend Jane Venard that the work of talking about race and racism is uncomfortable. And it's often uncomfortable uh, sometimes even when we don't expect it because we think we've done the work already or we think that we don't need to do the work yet. And so I'm just going to offer to you the bit of wisdom that she offered to us yesterday, which is if that discomfort rises in you at some point today, that you lean into it, that you welcome that because it is a teacher for us, and then that you sit with it. Let us turn to scripture and to words of spirit. Good morning. Before we begin uh, scripture, I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on why these scriptures are particularly important to me. Um, When I was a child, I often sat with my grandmother in church on Sundays. And uh, it meant a lot to her to share with me her favorite scriptures. And the following one uh, from Proverbs 22.6 is one of those that she would say to me whenever I asked her certain questions um, about why she seemed to be what I thought was overprotective. And so this uh, first one's real brief. And she said this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start children off on the way they should go, And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The next passage is uh, one of my favorites. It's the one I go to when I'm looking for an illustration that shows that there's something inherently within the consciousness of humanity that seeks to find God. And the God who equally created all people is more than we can ever imagine. This comes from Acts 17, um, verses 22 to 29. And it goes as such. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. 
This unknown God I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it and is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is God served by human hands as though the creator needed anything. Since the creator gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they should live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for and find God. Though indeed, God is not far from each one of us. For in the Holy One we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are God's offspring. So since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. Words of grace for God's people. Let us pray. Creator of us all, by your spirit we all live and move and have our being. Though we may encounter each other through the lenses of different cultures and races and norms, it is from your spirit that we encounter any person. None of us exist outside of relationship, and you are the first relationship of our souls. So as we encounter one another this morning, may we do so from that grounding, that place where you dwell in each and every one of us. Amen. So uh, before I begin with the conversation, and I like to think of this as a conversation, though you might not say much back, but feel free if you, if you like. Um, I want to offer you greetings from your sister church, First Congregational Church of Boulder, where Reverend Chris Broadway Bauman is the senior minister. And I would also like to express my appreciation uh, to your ministers, uh, Sarah Verasco and the newly installed uh, Reverend Amanda, Amelia Richardson Dress. Sorry. And, and to all of you for having me here today to be a part of your Be the Church series, and also for not having me wear robes, because I'm not, I don't like wearing robes, so I'm excited to not have to wear a robe today. Uh, my prayer this morning is that we do the work of trying to engage this idea of rejecting racism, and in so doing, that we trust that if anything comes up that challenges us, that it's love doing its work in our spirits. If you've ever been in any relationship, you know that part of growth is the challenge of learning new things about ourselves and about the others with whom we are in relationship. So we learn new things, and sometimes it like throws us off a little bit. We don't like to think things about ourselves, and we don't like to think different things about other people, but it's a part of the learning process. So that may happen this morning. It might not. Maybe you guys can read me, and I can read you. Who knows? But in this moment, if anything comes up, just know that it's love having its work in us expanding our capacity to receive one another, to receive difference, and to receive God's world, which is very vast and full of variety. And uh, if we really engage this morning, it's not going to be a like, nice little pretty message that you can put in a bow and go, that was cool, and stick it on a shelf. It's probably going to stick with you and probably going to go with you in your day-to-day -day life. So if I say anything that sticks with you and you can't get it out of your head for the next week or so, don't blame your ministers, just like, that's on me. 
Okay. So the first question with, this, with the series and the idea of rejecting racism, I think personally I think this is important, is to ask ourselves, what is racism? Like some of us, we think that we know what racism is. When I was younger, um, that was an easy enough question to answer. Political correctness wasn't a thing yet. And being in the South, going back and forth between southern part of Virginia and Mississippi, the racists were bold enough to tell you straight out what they thought, and uh, someone outside of their group knew that they weren't in. It was just clear. And racism was almost cartoonishly pronounced so that it was easy enough to tell the difference between an out-and-out racist, a person who was just ignorant based on socially uh, deficient upbringing, a kind person who just hadn't been exposed to diversity, and someone who basically treated all people the same. So if they treated you like a jerk, it just meant that they were an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Didn't have anything to do with your race or anything like that. That's just how they were. So those were the good old days where, <laughs> when races were proud and they didn't hide in the shadows. Now, that might sound strange for a black person to say the good old days of racism, um, but I can tell you that from my perspective, and only my perspective, that the worst thing that happened to racism was that the term itself became offensive. And I'll try to unpack this. When people weren't afraid of being called racist, I think there was actually more consciousness. People felt entitled, and they wore it on their sleeves. I've had the experience of introducing myself to a person who responded to me directly, I'm a racist. I was like, hi, I'm Pedro. And they're like, I'm a racist. There's no problem. Okay, we know what we're dealing with here, you know. I mean, it sounds kind of sad, but it's, it's a reality. But now this dictionary term that we apply to racism, it actually doesn't apply anymore. So if you look in the dictionary or look online for a definition of racism, you'll probably see something like this. The belief in the superiority of one, one race over another. It may also mean prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against other people because they are too, a, of a different race or ethnicity. But today, it's way more complicated. So it's like, a, it's like walking through what's called like a landmine area, a field of mines. It's difficult for people a lot of times today. So like many other English words uh, in this language, the word racist is now on a spectrum. And it means, what it means to people is really in the ear of the beholder, which is kind of difficult. And I think that's why some people are afraid of getting into some of these kinds of conversations. And that confuses people. Uh, being of limit, like if a person is limited, has limited or no exposure to someone of a different race, and they've never been taught not to say certain things, they may inadvertently say something, and then the response that they get back will be that they are racist. Someone may say, oh, that was racist, or you're a racist because you said this thing. And the person has no exposure. Has anybody ever had any experience like that? Or fear that kind of experience? Just being honest with each other? Okay. So instantly, if the person hears that, very frequently, the person will go into defense because when they hear that term, they think of somebody that's a Nazi, they're in a Klan, there's something like that. Some of the, the old school definition of racist. So they'll say, no, no, I'm not a racist. Why? No, no, and they go into, you know, defense. And understandably so. And at that point, most conversations are lost. You know, it's like, where can you go from there? You know, even if you didn't mean it, whatever the case may be. And it ends up being a battle over who can be the most offended. 
and no one wins. You guys know what I'm talking about? I've heard a person say that to them, racist is the N-word for white people. Have you ever heard anything like that? Um, I've heard people say that, to be called racist. So the word itself has, has shifted to a degree where people, if they hear that word, they're so afraid of hearing that word, they feel so offended by that word, that we can't have a conversation about how do we reject something that people are so afraid of talking about. How can we move into another way of being together? So the reason why I'm getting into the nuances of the word racist or racism is because without this awareness, it's going to make communicating the United Church of Christ's uh, message of be the church and rejecting racism extremely difficult. Because when you say it to one person, they could hear something completely different than someone else. Does that make sense? So we can't take for granted that that word means one static thing. I mean, you've now started to hear things about, you know, systemic racism and things like that. But at the same time, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with relationships. We're dealing with trying to create a better world by getting to know people across difference. So even when we speak of systemic racism and things like that, that's like something that while it exists, at the same time, it's hard to talk about it in interpersonal relationships. I don't know if you guys feel that. But I've, I've led a lot of conversations on race and ethnicity and try to have people from across the spectrum, different political views and everything, have conversations and witnessed this subtle exchanges that happen because of trying to avoid some of these things. And so I want to paint this picture for you because if you're going to go out there and you're going to try to be a part of this movement, then I think you should know what you're getting yourself into and how confusing the landscape is right now. So take, for example, there's this guy, his name is H.K. Edgerton. And maybe you, some of you have heard of him, but H.K. Edgerton, he's an African-American activist for Southern Heritage and a member of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. So he's a black guy, and he goes out in full regalia of the Confederate um, side of the army um, of the Civil War, and he takes Confederate flags, and he goes out and he speaks about Confederate pride, and he considers himself an activist for Confederate pride. And there's a picture online of this black guy holding this Confederate flag, wearing the gray, and then across from him is a white guy with a sign that says Black Lives Matter. Right? And they're, and they're facing each other. That's, that's the world that we're in right now. You know? That's the world that we're in right now. So it, the, the complexity is real. And, <laughs> and, you know, in that kind of situation, when you ask yourself, Who's rejecting racism? The question is very strange. Because Edgerton's fighting for his right to be a black Confederate, son of the Confederate, and in his mind, he used to be a, a president of the NAACP in Asheville. So that's the complexity. And I paint this picture because when we go out there, we, we need to be aware of what we're dealing with and what other people are dealing with. Because it's easy to get in our own containers and think that we know what we're talking about and then we try to go out there and make a difference and then we talk to somebody who has had a completely different set of like life experiences. And if we're not prepared to be able to be in that question and to live in that question with people, it's just going to be a battle of will. And the truth is, willpower cannot defeat culture. In order for culture to be shifted, there, have to be an, there has to be an ideal. You have to know what your, your ideal is. And that ideal has to be bigger than yourself, 
bigger than your willpower, bigger than the way you wish things are, but that you can stand in that ideal in the face of whatever culture brings and offer an invitational presence so that people can have conversation, can have room, can grow together. Does that make sense? I ask that question a lot. (laughs) So for me, part of my ideal to move through this world is some words from Jesus on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. All right? It's a tough uh, sentence to have in your heart at all times because sometimes it really seems like people know exactly what they're doing. But then at the same time, if you really think about it, if someone really knew how much they were loved by God, they would act completely differently than they do if they feel that they're cut off or separate. And that's true with any relationship. When we feel cut off, if we feel separate, we act one way. If we know we're loved and we know we're embraced, we act another way. And so if we're holding in our hearts this ideal that we're loved and held and that God is bigger and God can hold all people and all ways of being and all life inside of God's self and we are in a relationship with God, we can be invitational presences as God is. And then we can invite people into that possibility. That's what it means in my opinion, to go out there and to reject racism. But it's not just about rejecting something. It's about standing for something in particular. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. To stand for something. So to me, I translate rejecting racism as standing in God's reality. God's reality, from my perspective and from reading from Acts 17, is that God created all people. God created the dwelling places and boundaries of all people. And that God cannot be confined to the limitations of our understanding or designed in a way that makes sense to us. But it's an invitational, open, expansive presence that makes room for everyone, even the people we disagree with. And when we can make that room and that person can feel it, it changes the way they show up in the world. But we have to be willing to let go of our right to be offended and the fear that we're going to make a mistake and all these other things, or that we might be called racist. Well, you guys might be called racist. (laughs) We have to overcome that and to be able to stand in that space and say, you know, if it comes to you, if if you try something and you try to have a conversation with someone and they come back at you that way, to be able to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I, I did not know. And can you help me to understand where you're coming from? Because I do want to understand. And then you're making room for that person, and maybe that person can step back and say, oh, this person wants to understand. Maybe I can step back. And maybe I feel like my fears are legitimate, and maybe I feel like, you know, I've been through things before, and I'm scared that's what's happening again. But if this person can hold that presence, it makes room. So I don't know how long you guys usually have sermons, so I'm going to try to wrap this up a little bit. But I want to leave you guys... With a a couple stories, a couple ideas. So I I named this story The Talk because, you know, I came from the South and I came from places before I came to Colorado the first time I lived in Atlanta. So I was kind of shocked when I first came to the Boulder area um, because of different demographics. (laughs) And uh, raising my uh, daughter here, I thought, okay, well, this is where I am. This is where I have this church and things like that. And things were fine, and then one day my daughter came home, and she said, Dad, what's the N-word? And I was like, oh, we haven't had this conversation. And I asked her, you know, why are you asking me that? 
And then she said, well, some kids at school were talking about it. They were talking about words that you're not supposed to say. And one of them, they said, was the N-word. And I just don't know what that means. What is it? And she was about seven or eight at the time. And I felt a lot of feelings. One of them was like, I need to take my kid and go back to the South or go to Atlanta or go somewhere. But I was like, no, let me get, let me get centered and let me just talk to her about it. And she tried some attempts of saying the word, so she clearly didn't know it. And the kids at school maybe didn't know it, but they, they were talking about it. But she's the only black kid, you know. So it was going to mean something different for her than it meant for them in having that conversation. And so I took her on a walk, and we talked about it. And I explained different things to her, and I explained some of the nuances and complications of the word as best as I could for that time. And... uh but I also felt this weight of this knowledge that even if the kids didn't mean anything by it because they were being innocent and maybe their parents didn't sit down and talk with them and tell them, hey, there's this, there's this word and I, you may hear it. This is what it means. They didn't have these conversations. So it's like one thing for me to have these conversations with my kids and to talk to them. But if you guys... Don't have these conversations with your kids and your family and tell them about the world that you see and witness just as much as we might do. Then there's going to be a disconnect. And then when they encounter each other, when our kids encounter each other, we're going to keep perpetuating something that could have gone away a long time ago if we just learned how to talk and learned how to hold that space to not own our right to be, to be uh, offended but to embrace this capacity of love that God has for us and that Jesus represented when he was able to, in the midst of his dying, say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because if we knew the reality of the love that we've been invited into, that we're trying to practice in our church, this world would be changed. If we could stand in that ideal. So every time I talk to people, it's always an invitation. An invitation to stand into that ideal. To love others as you love yourself, including your enemies. Not because you think you're doing them a favor, but because you know a better reality. That rejecting something is fine, but only if it's leading you towards something that you can stand in. And so my invitation to you, my hope for you this morning, is that in the small amount of time that we have together, that you'll be able to not only identify that, yeah, no, I, I don't think, I, I don't stand for racism, but to be able to come over and to say, what do I stand for? And who can I make room for? Because if we can't do that, believe me, it will keep going and going and going. So I invite you to have the conversations that need to be had, to have those talks in your family and in your communities, and to just spread this good news. Okay? Now, I know in a little bit we're going to practice World uh, Communion, but it's also World Communion Sunday, right? So when we're doing this, remember that there's people all over the world that are coming, and they're coming to this table, and they're sharing in the bread and the cup, and some of them do not agree with you. Some of them think that you're not real Christians. I know that because I heard that when I came. (laughs) You're not real Christians. That's how I ended up in the UCC. I grew up fundamentals, and they told me I wasn't a real Christian. I ended up in the UCC. (laughs) And on the other side, you know, but they're all coming to the table. So when we come to the table, let's try to hold in our hearts everybody. 
people who agree with us, the people who don't agree with us, the people who will shun you if you come in the church and the people you might look at sideways when they come in here. But make room for them at the table with Christ, with the disciples, because you are part of that flock. Does that sound good? Okay. Well, I think we'll move into that. Thanks be to God, and thank you for sharing your time with me this morning. On the front of your bulletin is the How to Be the Church. So how do we care for the poor, fight for the powerless, share earthly resources, love God, and enjoy life? We do that by repackaging a ton of beans. <laughs> Literally, we have a ton of beans down in the fellowship hall. It sounds like a lot, but it really is 20 bags. <laughs> and we will be doing that right after church. Just go down to the fellowship hall. If you say, well, I didn't bring my cup to repack. We have cups. Well, I have to eat lunch before. We have some sandwiches left over from yesterday, so there's no excuse. This, you can sit down. You can stand up to do this. The tasks are varied. So last year it only took us about an hour and 15 minutes to repackage a ton of beans. So the more people we have, the less time it will take. And it's a great kid-friendly event. So hope to see you down in Fellowship Hall. I do want to mention, um, Pedro and I have had a conversation about an online living room conversations uh, opportunity that is coming up. Living room conversations is something that Pedro and I have both found to be helpful in uh, just learning to talk about a variety of difficult things. And there is an online one happening. I'm going to ask Pedro to say a little more about it because I don't have my notes with the details and I'm going to get it wrong. Okay. <laughs> So uh, Living Room Conversations is basically a, a platform. You can do it in person, and you can do it online, and you gather with people um, from different backgrounds that have difficult conversations or just conversations that you don't normally have. And for the next three weeks on the 8th, the 15th, and the 22nd, um, I think it's from 9 to 10.30 uh, Pacific time, which you can adjust for this time, which I guess would be a 10 to 11.30, um, there's going to be a conversation on race and ethnicity. And I wrote that conversation and had input from people from across the spectrum. And I had it filtered by a person that would be way, way, way far right um, to go and have it. And we talked about it, too, so there would be multiple points of entry. So multiple people can go on online. They'll break you down into small groups of seven or less. Um, there's information available. I don't know if did you get to print anything. We will put it on. We'll link to it on Facebook tomorrow okay. morning. So you'll be able to connect to it most easily that way. Right. And you can register uh, today or tomorrow. And um, once you're up there, you'll get into the groups. I think there's probably only about eight spots left right now for this one. But if you go to the site, there's other ones that will come up in the future. Plenty of opportunities. And you can also have them here at your church or wherever. So, Thank yeah. you. Yep. <laughs> Friends, we are the offspring of God. That means that the God source is our source. So as we go out into the world, looking at our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors and our friends, may you see a fellow child of God, and may your heart be expanded to receive all of God's children, just as you have been received. May the peace of Christ be with you as you go forward this day. Amen. Amen.